You've probably heard it said that the devil doesn't need to make us bad, he just needs to make us busy. If we read and well, we would read in Peter, we would see in Peter that we have an adversary, someone who is roaming about trying to devour us. Let me, let me add my, my thought to this. Satan doesn't need to destroy us, he simply needs to distract us. He simply needs to distract us. I don't know if you paid, if you caught this, but the songs that we sang this morning were really about our identity, who we are. I didn't, I didn't know the song. I mean, I knew that I saw on the plan, but I didn't think through. That wasn't intentional from my part. But the reality is those songs reminded us of who we are, our identity in Jesus Christ. And, and Nate, you challenged us to that. Are we a Christian? Are we a follower of Christ? What does that mean? Who are we? And very specifically, what does that mean right now, right here, in the moment that we find ourselves? See, Satan can certainly devour us. He can, he can use the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He can use the system of this world. He can appeal to our flesh, my own flesh. And he can destroy me, or I can allow him to destroy me. But he doesn't have to. All he has to do is distract me from living a life that is worthy of the gospel. Living a life that is true to my identity. You with me? All he has to do is distract us. And, and what Emma just read, it's, it is heavy. Trust me, I've been grappling with it all, all week. And, and Jesus, what in the world? What in the world are you, Luke? Recording this and getting these the, the, the facts and the details of this teaching of Jesus, including it in his gospel, so that Theophilus would have an accurate record of who Jesus was and what he had done and what he had said. Jesus, what is your intent in this moment? I think his intent is to remind us, to pull us back from distraction. Or can I say it this way? that maybe we are getting sleepy in the moment that God's placed us. Maybe we're not fully awake to who we are and what's happening. If you talk to an anesthesiologist, I've had the, the pleasure of doing that about three times in the last couple of years, three, four times, um, they'll tell you it's easy to put people to sleep. It's easy. I, I, just, I have a shoulder that likes to come out, and I dislocated my shoulder a while back. Hadn't happened for years and years and years, and I was had my arm above my head and I was shooting a piece of trim, stepped off a little ladder and my arm came out and I couldn't get it back in. I've always been able to get it back in. They, my daughter takes me to the emergency and, and God bless this young doctor who, she was probably about six foot, six foot one and, and she was excited. She was going to get my arm put, put back in its socket and I'm laying there and she's got my arm back over my head and my daughter's sitting there with this look on her face and this lady is completely leaning her whole body trying to get my, and I'm doing everything I can just not to scream like a girl, because that was, and I'm sorry, I know girls, but. And she gives up, she finally gives up, and she goes, okay, okay, another doctor's come in, and she goes, we're gonna have to put him to sleep, and they put, they put something in my IV, because I had an IV, and I was gone instantly. In fact, my experience was, I saw them put it in the thing, and I opened my eyes and my arms in a, in a sling, and I'm, it's all done. An anesthesiologist will tell you it's pretty easy to put people to sleep. The challenge is what? 
waking them up. Making sure that I can wake up the patient fully. And here's what they do, and I've experienced this. They ask you these questions, and they're in this order. The first question is what? Do you know your name? What's your name? They want to know if you know, know who you are. They start with a really easy one, and you, uh, you give them your name. And then they ask you, do you know where you are? The last one asked me, do you know what we removed, is what he asked me. You know where you are, and the lights, and the, the operating room, and you know where you are. And then finally, do you know what just happened to you? Do you know what just happened? And I think the Holy Spirit is our anesthesiologist, and he's asking us these questions right here, right now. He's saying, do you know your name? Do you know that you, we sang this morning, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And the Holy Spirit, the world, Satan, whoever says, what's your name? I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into his family. Do you know who you are? And then he asks us, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? Do you know the circumstances in which you're, you're living? And I go, yeah, I'm living in this flesh. I'm living in this broken body. And I'm living on earth. And sometimes I want to say back to God, do you know where I am? Do you know what's happening in my neighborhood, my world? And then finally... You know what's happening. You know what just happened? Now here, here's why I, I say it this way, because how we answer those questions reveals whether or not we are fully awake in the moment. Is it possible for us, if we are followers of Jesus, we put our faith in him, is it possible that we're kind of just kind of sleeping through what's happening? We're just trying to make it through. We're, we're, we're not really awake we're not really aware of who we are and where we are and what's happening and what we should be doing how we should be living because of who we are where we are and what's happening jesus has i believe this on his heart and his mind as he enters this time of teaching this moment with his audience he wants them to know exactly who they are where they are and what is happening what they should be doing in the moment and it's heavy isn't it come on it's okay God can handle our sin I don't understand this section of scripture or I don't know why you put this in here or I don't even like sometimes I don't even like what this is saying or what this is teaching or what you're asking of me he gets that he can understand that he asks simply that we come to his word humbly and with open hearts and minds to hear his voice so hearing my voice is not important. Well, it is, you know, we got all this so you can hear it. But that's really not what's important. Do you get that? Yeah. Hearing my voice is not what's important. My job is to be a tool of what God wants to do. And in many ways, it's just simply getting out of the way of what he wants to do so that I don't muddy up the waters, so that you hear clearly from the Holy Spirit. That is what absolutely is critical in this moment. You've chosen to be here. You've chosen to gather I hope you've invited the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, God, I want to hear from you, not this guy, I want to hear from you, so open up the eyes of my heart and the ears of my heart to see and to hear you this morning. That's Jesus' heart towards us in this teaching. So be ready for service. Look at your Bible. Be ready for service with the screen behind me. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. It seems like a random 
right angle, right turn, but it's not. Jesus tells the crowd, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. Why, what, what does that mean? Well, they didn't, ha they didn't have the ability to turn on a light switch to get light, to see what they needed to do. They had to be prepared. They had to carry their flashlight. Who has their phone? Hold your phone up. There's a, there's a light on your phone. You know that, right? There's like a flashlight. So make sure your today he would say, make sure your battery's charged. Paul, I know you, and you got to remember, right? Okay, plug it in tonight. Make sure your battery's charged. Make sure you have what you need. In fact, let me say it this way. Jesus says you must be like people who are waiting for their master to return. Now, you're going to hear a lot of master and slave and servant and manager and steward. Steward. A steward. And it's interesting in the Greek, we're not going to unpack this, but you can, you can do this with tools that are available online and, and, and software. But as you walk through this, Jesus is not using the same word. He uses a, and I love this word, a plethora of words. The three amigos taught me that many years ago. A plethora of words that, in our, in our, that are different in the, in the Greek just like they are in the English. And so there's a lot happening here in the context of people who live under Rome... So they have, are witnessing, they are experiencing, they are partaking in, likely even, various levels of slavery and servitude and ownership and master and boss and employ all the... And then on top of that, they also have, within their own culture, there are opportunities, and I'll say it that word, there are moments where people would put themselves into servitude. We read about it in the Old Testament. Other times they're forced. The point is, they understand these words. It's a little, it's, it's a little foreign to us, and, it, and at points it feels offensive to us. And in some ways it should. In other ways, not so much. See, if I'm just dead honest with you guys, the idea that I'm a slave and Jesus is my master rubs a little wrong in certain parts of my heart and head. Because I'm a free individual. We don't have a king, right? Well, sometimes we don't. The idea that I am obligated to, to respond in, in narrow ways to authority is, is at, at worst offensive. At best, it's really challenging. It is. And we, we see it unfolding in, in our society right now in, in, in the United States. When you travel to other parts of the world, this, this is present. This whole idea of authority and, and good authority and bad authority is present in every single society. It's present in his society. And he begins to paint a picture, Jesus. Now, you, you probably know that I put the text in my notes and I started doing something as we got into Luke. I used to just put the text in a, I had a color so I knew it was the text. And I realized that I, I really needed to change the text where Jesus is speaking to Bread, right? And to, you know, take that from what we have in our Bibles to remind myself who is speaking. And I want to remind you that as we read this and you hear me read these words and Emma read these words, it's Jesus speaking, not us. Are we together on that? Yeah. Now, it doesn't make it any easier, maybe, but that's our starting point. And so Jesus is taking, he's speaking into this culture. He's speaking into a world where authority in various forms, good and bad, is a part of their life. And, and, and slaves and servants and masters 
is a part of it. And he says, you must be like people who are waiting for their master re to return. He's been away. And he's coming back from this wedding banquet so that when he comes back and he knocks, the servant is ready at the door to open the door at once. What's the point? The point is the servant's not laying out by the pool sipping on a drink. The servant is fulfilling his role. He's living out his role even while the master is not present. Thank you. Those slaves that the master will find alert, answering the door, doing what they were given to do, when he comes will be blessed. I assure you he will get ready. The master, catch this, will get ready. Have them recline at the table. Who? The servants, the slaves. Have them recline at the table, and then he will come and he will serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night, <laughs> did you like that video? The Father Day video? One of my favorite is, hey, from midnight to 4 a.m., just come wake me up if you need anything. <laughs> my dad never said any of those things either, ever. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, no matter when he comes, those servants will be blessed. But know this, if the homeowner, the master of the house, had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Do you get the principle? Do you? Do you know, stay alert. You know the possibility of this happening. It shouldn't surprise you. So be ready. Be ready for service. Have your lamps lit. And then here's his, his application. You also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus equates himself with who? The master. You see it? He's talking to this crowd. He gives them this illustration. They're like, oh, yeah, boy, yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. And then he says, you also, you must learn from this. Here's the, here's the, the, the point. Jesus is challenging us to wake up. And we've got to make this personal right here, right now. He's challenging us to wake up and live like today is our last chance to get it right. I say it that way on purpose because I want to make room for grace. I want to make room for grace. The new covenant that we have in the blood of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, we'll, we'll come to the Lord's table in a little while and we'll be reminded again of what it costs. But Jesus says this new covenant is based upon my sacrifice for you. It's not based on the old covenant that was keeping all these rules and living a certain way to reveal that we just couldn't do it, right? The law is good. The law is not bad. But its purpose is not to save us. It's to expose us to our need for a Savior. So then Jesus comes and says, here I am. Here's the new covenant in my blood. It's called grace. It's called grace. And we need room for grace, don't we? So you say, okay, today... This is, this is Jesus' terminology. We're talking about individual days. Today, you got a chance to get it right. You, well, I didn't the other day. Okay, granted. The, the master says, okay, fine. Grace says, okay, yeah, you didn't get it right yesterday. Yesterday, you were filled with fear. You were filled with frustration. You were filled with whatever. But now it's today. Live, wake up. Live today, right now, in this moment, like this is your last chance to get it right. Be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Man, 
man, I wish that could penetrate our thinking, our planning, our, our choices. That we just do not know what grace is going to give us as far as time on this earth, breath in these lungs. I have no idea. And yet, what do we do as a society? We do everything we can to push that reality out of our thinking, don't we? We had a, we had a funeral here Friday for Jim Junkins. Many of you know who that is. And it strikes me every time I'm a part of a memorial service is the reality, listening to his life, listening to the testimonies. It was incredible how God used him right up to 88 years old. And I'm reminded every time, I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I really don't. But I kind of live like tomorrow's guaranteed. I just do. Jesus challenges us to wake up to that, 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 that deceptive way of living. Live like today is your last chance to get it right. Let me give you three things. How do I, how do I know if I'm awake? I'm going to give you a bunch of these this morning. Number one, we make our choices with eternity in view. The choices I make, I'm considering what impact this has on eternity, not just this world and right now and the people in my life. Number two, we care about Jesus' blessing more than the approval of others. Oh, church, this, man, we struggle with this so consistently and persistently. We want the approval of others. We want the approval of our government. We want the approval of our society. We want the the approval of the federal government. We want them all to side with us or at least include us in the conversation at the table. We want to be recognized as a valuable piece of this society. I do. We want the approval of others in just about everything that we do. And Jesus is reminding us what we need to care about most is Jesus saying, well done. Way to be ready. Way to answer the door. Way to do, way, way, I don't, it doesn't make sense when I say it like that. Way, dude, Jesus didn't say dude. I'm going to see if I can get him to say dude when I'm in heaven, but I don't know if I'll be successful. Just kidding. All I, all I should care about is Jesus' blessing, Jesus' face turned towards me and saying, good job, Kurt. Well, way to live out your identity. Way to be the church in challenging times. Number three, we navigate each day. We move through each day like it could be our last. Now, please, you're like, wow, this is so morbid. Well, tomorrow morning I may not wake up, so I'm going to... No, that's not... I hope that's not what you take from this. Jesus isn't saying that. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Don't fear tomorrow. Just live today like this might be the last chance you get to do it right. So do it right. Live out your identity in the midst of this mess. And then Peter, I love Peter. I really do love Peter because I'm Peter. I, this, is, this is exactly what I would have done. Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or is everybody? Who's your audience, Jesus? Come on, you can't be talking about us. You know, we're your disciples. I mean, we're living, you know, on the road. You know, come on. I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I, right? We're not given his, his motive. But it's somewhere in there. Is he going... I want to make sure I understand what you're saying, Jesus, and follow your rules. So could you confirm this is for us? Possibly, that's probably one of the other disciples, probably not Peter. He's like, wait, wait, well, hold on, I wasn't paying attention. Am I supposed to be taking notes on this? Is this for us, or is this for everybody? Listen to what Jesus does. What does he do? He either answers a question with a question, or he tells a parable, a story, yeah. 
the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? So he's telling a story, but he starts the story with a question. He's so consistent. So what does it look like? What is the master looking for? What, who would be considered a faithful and sensible manager that the master could put in charge of his household servants and to give them their allotted food and the pro- to take care of his household, to take care of everyone else? Hmm, what would that look like? That slave changes, now, before he used steward, now he uses doulos for slave. That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. Now, context here is telling us what does that look like? He wants us thinking about what it looks like to be a faithful servant, slave in his household. But then he says, this is what is going to happen. This is the consequence. When the master finds that one living out that way, faithful and sensible, he's going to be rewarded. In fact, here's what's going to happen. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possession till, you know, what do you call that? Not advance him. Promote him. Sorry. He'll promote him. He'll give him more responsibility. But if that slave says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Now pause with me because this, I believe, is, is, the, is the, the bane of the church. We get so drowsy. We get so sleepy in this world and the life that we're living that we're no longer living with the reality that Jesus could come Today. And when you hear a pastor, a preacher, a speaker, whatever, say, it could be today, you may not make it home, we go, <laughs> yeah, I know, that's true, yeah. <laughs> you could die from cancer, you could get in a car accident, you could get, right? And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is Jesus saying? He's saying we need to be living like our master could return at any moment. This is what a faithful and sensitive steward or master, a slave, looks like. He's living his life. He's making his choices, he or she, living their life like he could come today. My master is delaying his coming. I got time. I'll worry about that later. And he starts to beat the male and female slaves. He abuses those that are under his, his responsibility. And then he just gives himself to eating and drinking and getting drunk. That slave's master will come on a day when he does not expect him. What's happened? This slave has fallen asleep to the reality that he answers to his master. And he's no longer living out his identity. He's no longer living for us as a child of God, a disciple. We've fallen asleep. He does not expect him at an hour he does not know. He will cut him. Sorry, that will come. Let me back up. That slave's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. He'll be caught off guard. He will cut him to pieces. Literally means in two, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. We could spend time here. What is Jesus saying? There's a lot of application potentially that he's saying. Let's just say it this way. It's not good. There's consequences to not living as a child of God in the moment that he's put us to represent him. To live expecting our master's return. That slave who knew his master's will, this is one of the slaves underneath the one he just talked about, and they know what the master wanted to be done and they and didn't prepare himself or do it, he'll pay consequence too. Well, the, the one you put in charge of us didn't. No, 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 no. 
did you know what I wanted you to? Yes, okay, then there's consequences. Severe. But the one who did not know, the one that was just doing his task, her task, and they did things deserving of blows, meaning they didn't live out their role as a servant, but they didn't have an understanding of what the master's expectations were completely. They'll be beaten lightly. You see, see the picture? See how we live, the choices we make, what we do with what we've been given does make a difference. Listen to what Jesus says, and I have this in bold red. Make, much will be required. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much. And even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. Remember, this is all in response to Peter, one of his disciples, saying, are you talking about us? And what we have here is Jesus addressing, I believe, leadership. Or given, when you're given responsibility in the, in, the, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, Jesus challenges leaders to wake up and lead with everything that they have received from Jesus. Let me give you some thoughts. How do we know when we're awake as a leader? And by the way, today's Father's Day. Fathers, you're a leader at home. Husbands, you're a leader in your marriage. I'm not telling you that. God tells you that, just as he tells me that. You're, you're likely a leader at your place of work. You may be a leader even in your, in your neighborhood. There's many circles of leadership that God's given you within the kingdom of God, within the family of God. How do we know we're awake? As a leader in a leadership role, number one, we take Jesus' challenge personally. Let's learn from Peter. Peter goes, are you talking to me? There's a movie, right? Are you talking to me? And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm talking to you, Peter. This is what it looks like. We take his challenge personally. We look at our lives and say, okay, I've been given responsibility. This is for me. This is for me. Number two, we accept responsibility for others. I believe that is the essence of leadership. It's been defined many, many different ways. I define it based on the life of, of Nehemiah. A leader is someone who says, I am responsible for you, for her, for him, for them. It doesn't matter if I have a title or if I'm getting paid to do it. I have a responsibility for these people. We accept responsibility for others. One of the, one of the evidences that leadership is asleep is when they no longer care for those that they lead. We see it on every level of authority in our society. Do we not? This is not about politics. This is not about conservative, liberal. This is about the reality that leadership has abandoned its responsibility for those that it serves. And leadership has become self-centered. What do I do with this? How do I know that I'm awake as a leader, as a father, as a husband, that I willingly accept responsibility for others? There's days when I just want to Right? You know what, right? No, I don't want to come to the office. I don't want to study the Word of God. I don't want to, I just want to, I just want to be about me. This is a mess. I don't got the answer to this mess. I'm tired. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to look out for me for a while. That's a fail. Leaders, if you're listening, that's a fail. When I no longer willingly accept the responsibility God has given me for others. Number three, we're aware of what we have, and we're thankful for what we have. Did you catch that? Jesus said, much will be required of everyone who has been given much. 
we have all been given something in this realm. And we need to be thankful for it. Not covetous or, or envious of what somebody else has. You think that's not, that's not a challenge for leaders? It is. Right now, a lot of stuff's happening online. A lot of conferences and training. And I'm listening to these guys speak. And I know, Matt, you've been listening to some, too, and some of the, our other leaders. And it's easy to go, oh, if I could just communicate like that. Oh, if I just had those resources. Oh, if I just, if, oh. And before you know it, I'm no longer thankful for what he has graciously poured into my own life and holds me accountable to what I do with it. Number four, and here's the principle. We embrace this principle. To whom much is given, much is required. Do you see that there? This is where it comes from. Jesus is the, is, is the root of this, this idea. To whom much is given, much is required. The more God gives you, the more he expects. The more he expects you to take it and live it out. The more severe his judgment if he falls, finds you asleep. I pause because I want all of us, particularly our leaders, to think on that truth. His judgment is severe. He's gracious and he's loving and he's patient. But he has expectations of those that he's poured into. And if he finds us failing to embrace and use what he's given us, there are severe consequences. You see that in the story, don't you? As it moves up. Here's, here's how I am telling myself, and if this works for you, use this. We love, we love our obligation to Jesus. If I can honestly tell you, you come and say, how are you doing? And I can honestly say, and I love my obligation to Jesus. I love that he is my master and I'm his slave. And I love that he's called me He's poured into my life and said, lead, and I love it. Then I'm in the right place. If you're a bunch of complaining and whining and indifference from me, pray for me. Because I'm not in a good place. I'm not that faithful steward. We love our obligation to Jesus because to whom much is given, much is required. All right, you with me? I got two minutes. I got two minutes left. So you're going to have to listen a little bit quicker. Chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus goes on. He says, I came to bring fire on the earth. This sounds like a, a, a running for office speech, okay? Just think in that term. I came to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. Fire and brimstone, interesting. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. Scholars think this is a different thing. Some see this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit and living that out and living his life here on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Others see it as what he's about to be baptized when he goes to the cross and the suffering and the, and the, the shame and all that comes with that. The Garden of Gethsemane, remember? The cup. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. Maybe it's both. And how it consumes me until it's finished. I want to fulfill the Father's plan Why I'm here. Do you think that I came here to give peace to the earth? Do you think that I came to bring peace to this world? No, I tell you, div division. Jesus said it. Division from now on, and he's going to use this word multiple times. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two. Two against three. They will be divided. Let me get personal. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's talking about relationships, isn't he? He's talking about family. 
And then he turns to the crowd with having dropped that bombshell. He turns to the crowd because I believe this, those verses are really to his disciples. He says also to the crowds, he expands his audience. When you see a cloud, let me just, let me just bring you all into this. When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say, hmm, a storm is coming. And so it does. And when the south wind is blowing you, oh, when, when, the, when the delta breeze blows, what do we say? Oh, it's going to cool down tonight. That's awesome. If you live in Santa Ana in Southern California, when the wind comes in, you say the office, oh, it's going to be hot tonight. Because this breeze comes in and you recognize that when the wind comes out of the south, it's probably going to mean it's going to be hot. It's going to be a scorcher. And it is. Hypocrite. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why don't you know how to interpret this day in which you're living? We know more about the weather than we know about the kingdom of God. We fall asleep. We get distracted by what's happening in government and in the economy and in the workforce and all the things that touch our lives. And he says, you've fallen asleep. You, you, why, why don't you know what's happening? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right, how you should live, how you should respond? As, you are going with, as you're going with your adversary, you're going to the court, the root you're going to meet before the judge make an effort to settle with him on the way doesn't that make sense that's what he's saying if you're on you're the lawsuit is going to be settled today and you and your adversary matt and i are going before the judge because we're mad at each other and he did something to me and i or he sued me or whatever and we're going to the judge he says you're walking there look at that guy and say hey can't we just settle this can't we just this is this is going to end badly yeah can we just stop at the starbucks let's talk this through then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge won't hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff won't throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last cent. What's he saying? He's saying that's not the way to solve what's going on because that's really not the real problem. What's the real problem? The real problem is that the cross, the gospel, who Jesus is and why he came is scandalous. Or as Jesus uses here in this text, it's divisive. See, we've, we've so long enjoyed a place in our culture. I think we have fallen asleep. We have forgotten how scandalous the gospel really is. Because we've been tolerated. We've been allowed to function and do what we're doing here. And, you know, but as we find ourselves more and more and more alienated from what is happening in our world around us and we're out here on the fringes what's happening hopefully what's happening is we're being reminded that the gospel of jesus christ that is scandalous the idea that the creator would come and take on human form and live among us the idea that i need a savior that i can't do this on my own the idea that there is hell and heaven and separation from god or peace with god all because of him and what he did on the cross and my embracing it by faith is scandalous. It's still the power of salvation, but it's scandalous. Jesus is challenging the church to wake up and to be a voice of hope in the midst of this storm. Truly, my time is up. I'm wrapping this up. He challenges the church. He's challenging you and me to wake up, to be a voice of hope in the midst of the storm. You guys, we cannot be a voice of hope if we forget who we are and why we're here and what's going on. 
If you and I get caught up in what we think is going on, we're going to go to court, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to demand our rights, we're going we're to live in this society by the society's rules, we're asleep. And Satan is celebrating because he's got us, we've allowed him to get us distracted from who we are and why we're here and what we're to be doing. How does the church know when it's awake? I'll run through these really quick. We understand the times. If anybody on this planet should understand what's happening today, it should be those of us right here, those of us that name the name of Jesus and are spending time in his word, listening to his spirit. We understand the times. We know what's happening. Number two, we ask the right questions. What are the wrong questions? When is this going to end? When can we go back to normal? When can I stop wearing this? Oh, church, those are the wrong questions. What are the right questions? Why are we here right now? Why are we here right now? What should we be doing? And how can we do it together? Number three, we live simply to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. You know, maybe there's a bright spot in all this. A lot of our plans and purposes have been taken away. Haven't they? Come on. I said yes to a cruise, finally. And God said no. Okay. Then I waited three months for my refund. God said, wait. A lot of our plans and purposes have been removed, but God's plans and purposes are still intact. They're still moving forward. We live to fulfill them. Number four, we embrace the scandal of the cross. Jesus knows, he admits the cross is going to divide. He knows the cross will bring peace to the human heart, but not to the kingdoms of this world. And in many cases, not even to our families. The cross has been tolerated or conveniently used as a means to an end. But I'm here to tell you, if you haven't already recognized, the cross is once again scandalous. The gospel of Jesus Christ is once again scandalous in our culture, in our day. There'll be a price to be paid to live out our identity. You choose to be a follower of Jesus that knows why you're here, who you are, and what you're here to do, and, and how we're going to do it together, there will be a price to be paid. But there will be blessing from our Savior, from our Master. I want to invite you to take out your, your communion elements. Again, I don't want to keep apologizing for him, but I want to acknowledge that this is not our, our first choice. This is how we make this possible to be able to come to the Lord's table together. And as you're opening your elements and preparing your heart, Jesus challenges us to remember to eat the bread, to drink the cup, and do it in remembrance of him question that I, I ask us to consider are these. Are we living by faith in the midst of fear? How do I do that? Remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Are we known by love in the midst of division and chaos? How do I do that? Remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Am I speaking hope into the darkness? How do I do that? It seems everything I say is wrong. Remember who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Because when you remember who Jesus is, that's the key to remembering who you are and who I am.
Amen? So on that night with his disciples, he took the bread and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At that same Passover meal, he took the cup and he said, This cup is my blood which is poured out for you. Drink it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. I believe God's word to us this morning is wake up. I love that we started with this is our resurrection day. Talk about a wake up call. Talk about living like wide awake people. I've been resurrected from the dead. Yes, because of Christ. Remember that. 